I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Serie A action for 2021 wraps up this week. And this title race so far has been quite the thrill. As a holiday special, we welcome our lead play-by-play guy, my man, Trey Cordero, and a debut for the awesome Serie A expert and all things Italian football, Christine Cupo. It's Panaton season here at Kegolasso, and it begins right now. Everybody, welcome to Gegolasso. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We're on Twitter, Gegolasso Pod. We are on YouTube.com forward slash Gegolasso. More than 6,000 subscribers. Thank you so much. And we're verified on Twitter. We're the real deal. So keep on coming. Keep on sharing the love. And thank you so much for watching us on CBS Sports and listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave a rating and review. Right then, I am so excited today and listen my paramount plus bosses cannot complain this is serie a centric today and i'm so happy to welcome two absolute stars part of our family first of all a debut a debut for christine cooper christine how are you i'm wonderful i'm really happy to be here with you guys the the absolute masterminds of this operation clearly um, I'm just going to hang out and hide behind Dre uh, whenever he says something really smart. I'm going to nod and then just like nut, thumbs up, thumbs up. That's but, what I uh, do. Whenever Dre yeah. says anything smart, I just I just nod like this. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, Dre Cordero. Dre, I, I, how are you, buddy? It's not smart. I just say it confidently. I've got everybody fooled. <laughs> anyway, Christine's uh, backdrop is just look at how, how festive and spectacular that is. And this is the, the dawn of the Zoom. And this is my broadcasting studio nowadays. So, I mean, I we had to go a little bit like Buon Natale here. I love it. I love it. And Bon Natale indeed to everybody, especially if you're a Serie A-centric. This is the episode for you. As I mentioned, Kristen Cooper and Dre Cordero. You can follow C. Cooper on Twitter, Dre Cordero on Twitter as well. And let's begin, everybody. Uh, first of all, as I mentioned in the intro, guys, that uh, this Serie A title race is really quite something. We're going to get into it, of course. But the first thing I wanted to do, Dre, uh, we just passed, uh, we just watched uh, Napoli uh, winning one nothing against AC Milan at the San Siro. Paramount Plus went there. They went all out. You were there. I mean, it was awesome, man. Talk to me about the atmosphere, the experience. What was it like? So it was special for me. It was special for, for the people I was working with. It was a little bit of a reunion um, for myself, for my uh, co-commentator, uh, Matteo Bonetti. And uh, if I could like, name drop uh, Bobo Vieri, Christian Vieri worked with us for a good six years when we previously covered Serie A at a different network. And so if I could script how the weekend would go, forget the result, forget the game itself, but who I got to work with, where I got to be, what game I got to do, I would have written up this exact same story, getting back together with Bobo and Mateo in San Siro for one of the biggest games of the first half of the season, uh, Milan against Napoli. Look how miserable I look in that. <laughs> I know. Did they do it in a situation as well? Why was that, Dre? <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm five, eight, five, nine. I'm average height. We've got two giants on yeah. set with me. Mateo's six foot five. Bobo's just slightly shorter. They brought, so me a little, they brought me a little Dre, step were you, to stand were on. Were you trying to be a meme here? <laughs> so they brought me a little step like, to stand on. Why does it look like, hello, darkness, my <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm Cuban born. I live in Miami. I'm thrilled to be back <laughs> in golf weather. 
uh, right now as we speak. Uh, that was a, a fun moment, but a miserable one weather-wise. I'm not even wearing the right clothes, to be honest. Like I, I'm such a noob when it comes to cold weather uh, that I'm still adjusting. You legitimately I, look like you didn't get the memo. Like they <laughs> all were like pack triple the buffer coat, like we're good. And you listen, show up in like your nice little dress coat. Like yeah, I'm li- freezing, listen, but I look amazing. As, a Cuban, from, as a Cuban from Florida, he's never going to get the memo. <laughs> like it doesn't matter what it is. But Dre, uh, listen, uh, the work obviously that you continue to do for Paramount Plus, and obviously not just Serie A, but also CONCACAF stuff. Fantastic. It was such a good atmosphere. I, I do want to get into the game a little bit. Not that much, but I'm from both of you, of course. Uh, Cece, feel free to jump in. But, Dre, thoughts on the disallowed Kessie goal? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, stadium and colors and, and just how, how wonderful all that was aside, there was a football game. And, and the football, I thought, left a little bit to be desired because of all of the missing pieces for both of these teams. And there was this massive moment, right, where Kessie – by the way, I'm really disappointed because I thought my goal call on that Kessie equalizer was great. It, it was, was historic. It was insignificant is what it was because they wiped it out via VAR. Uh, but it's it a crime. Really- it's a crime because it should have stood, in my yeah, just, opinion. I'm, I'm and then your it- call would have been immaculate. It yeah, I'm going to make it all about my call. Artwork. Thank you kindly. Um, I I think it was rightly disallowed for the wrong reason, if that makes any sense. Right. So it was disallowed for offside um, because Giroud was in an offside position, laying down his head is a playable part of the body was offside. I think it's very debatable. And I would say he was not interfering with Jean Jesus's ability um, to play that ball at that moment. But where he did interfere with Jean Jesus is when he essentially wraps his arm around his neck and brings him down on the initial ball that's coming into Giroud. Had the referee given that, given a, a foul in attack as the reason for the disallowed goal, I thought perfectly legit. VAR would back it up. No issues there. I think the issue is it's very up for interpretation, whether from a laying down position, Giroud is actually interfering with Jean Jesus. And again, I would lean toward no, he is not. So it was. That's exactly what I had an issue yeah. with. With yeah. your perspective, if he would have given it, for that first infraction, I agree with you. That's perfectly fine, clear, no issues. I don't think that the internet's gonna set itself on fire. <laughs> but the way that it went down in actuality with, I'm sorry, but what else was your, like Giroud, what was he gonna do? Where was he gonna be? What was the alternative of his body placement in that series of actions? I just, I for me, it wasn't offside. I couldn't. Yeah, that was, that was my, my biggest qualm was that. I think, and I think uh, Dre, you, you said it perfectly. It was uh, incorrectly, correctly disallowed because obviously what are you going to do in that situation Giroud's jumping for the ball he's falling he can't do anything else but fall on the ground so you <laughs> fall know better I mean I know yeah please fall better. fall better it's Giroud. Giroud please fall behind Frank Kessie <laughs> let, let, let's make that happen but anyway let's not completely dwell on this game as it happened my big, bigger question and I'll go to you first Christine is the importance of the result because obviously Napoli, uh, a massive victory for them as, you know, they all chase Inter Milan, which we'll get to in a second. Are Milan, do you think, in your opinion, too lightweight to stay in the race? Not at all. Not at all. I, I think that they have some weaknesses, but I think right now they're sitting in second. Or no, Napoli's in second, Milan's in third. Level on um, points. Yeah. yeah, I'm like one, two, three. Um, yeah, if we just completely enter is with 43 points, tight, up, Napoli right. second, Milan set third, but also it's a goal difference. So, yeah, very right. tight. So very, very tight. Um, I think that right now we have a lot of contenders. Um, I wouldn't count anybody out at the moment. We still have, what, 21 more matches to go yeah. before, you know, we really figure things out. I think I'd start to worry in the latter part of the season. But right now it's still too early on. But 
given how close everything is, which mm -hmm. is super exciting for the rest of us, um, bless anyone without any real sort of vested interest in any of the clubs yet that are new to Serie A, because this is an amazing season to get started. Yeah. But um, I, I wouldn't count anybody out yet. I think they're all pretty formidable. Um, I still haven't, Juventus are sitting right now in seventh, and I'm still convinced that we'll manage to squeak out a top. Well, player. we're going to get to your Juventus later, Andre. <laughs> but Dre, I, I did want a little opinion on Dre on Milan as well as they, uh, even on points with Napoli, Napoli on a better goal difference. The same question to you. What do you make of AC Milan? Because last season, this was kind of the same narrative. Milan were doing all well until the end of the year, and then obviously things got tougher. And now I feel, Dre, because they're not in European competition, just like Inter Milan were not in European competition post-December, it might help them. How do you see it? Yeah, so last season, um, Milan were top of the table until about match day 22. But you can make the case that Milan were even better the second half of last season than they were the first. Cle clearly not on points where they were you know, top of the table early on. But from, I think, the second half of last season until about round 12 this year, there's a strong argument for saying Milan were the best team in Italy. Um, yeah. this, this year, they and Napoli arrived at, at match day 13 as the only two unbeaten teams in the top leagues, right? The, they were almost flawless, dropped just four points throughout. Since then, they've been hit with a barrage of injuries, both Napoli and Milan. I still think both are, are serious Scudetto contenders. Um, I think you look at the players who have made a big impact for the Rossoneri going through those first 12, 13 rounds. Uh, Simon Kier, he's out for the season, so they're going to have to rely on Romagnoli to partner Tomori. Uh, Davide Calabria looked like the best right back in the league until he got hurt. He should be back, you know, not in the not too distant future. Rebic had a role to play. He's been missing. Rafael Leal was finally putting it together in a way that people were waiting for him to break out. He has, he's been missing as well. And so I do think when they get everybody healthy, both they and Napoli, for Napoli, the, the injuries are maybe a little bit more serious just because uh, we're still about a month away from uh, Khalidu Koulibaly coming back, one of, if not the best center back in the league. Uh, still about you know a couple of months away from Victor Osiman, who is their goal-to-goal score goal making a return. So they just sort of have to hang around, which is why this was such a massive result for them. If they can hang around, get everybody back together, have a strong finish, they'll be in the race. But unlike Christine, I am very, very close to starting to count some people out. Uh, and, and, it, and it pains me to say it because, listen, I asked Bobo Vieri this on uh, pitch side. Uh, what's the team you're having the most fun watching? Not what's the best team in Serie A. What's the team you're, you're having the most fun watching? Fiorentina. It's Atalanta for me. Fiorentina was oh, the okay. which I'd love to talk to, uh, talk about, and we talk, will. We'll, we'll get into that. But Atalanta have been for me the most entertaining, and not just this season. I'm very, very close to counting Atalanta out. Um, not because they're not fun to watch, not because they're not exciting. They can trade goals with anybody. They can outscore almost anybody in the league. But if you look at Atalanta's best seasons, I mean, the last couple of years, finishing third, they they top off in the high 70s around 78 points. And this looks like another Scudetto that's going to be decided in the mid to high 80s, if not 90. I mean, Inter are on pace for 90 points right now. Can Atalanta hang around and put together an 87, 88, 90-point season? Even as good as they've been in the Gasparini, I'm not so sure. So right now it looks like, even though it's only six points between first and fourth, it looks like a three-horse race to me. Go ahead, CC, jump in, because I was going to ask you about uh, a little bit more on Slatan Dependencia here, but I, I do want to, <laughs> I, I am wondering about, you know, those that are the contenders and those that are the pretenders, because obviously Gasperini has shown it uh, time and time again that they can compete with the big boys. Who would you say uh, is the team to watch as we look ahead to 2022? Honestly, I, I want to disagree with Dre, but I really enjoy Atalanta. I have for a few seasons now. I think Gasparini... He's pretty great. He plays the style that I enjoy. Things get exciting. He's not doing the same like 
OG classic 352 boring. It's not Catenaccio. It's not. Um, but I think that they'll probably end up, I'd say top five. Um, I think that obviously Inter are going nowhere. Um, I wish I could say otherwise, just based on my own biases, but um, they just, the depth they have, it's just kind of wild, their whole story coming through this pandemic, nearly in financial ruin, just as other clubs have been, and just having also like one of the highest wage bills. And I mean, good for them that they somehow managed this in, in all of everything, but it's pretty amazing. It really is pretty amazing because, also to your point, not just about the you know, but also the you know, leaving Romelo Lukaku leaving and having to bring in some other players as well. Obviously, they've had some key components. Edin Dzeko, who knows the league where, yeah. very well, Chinaglu as well, who's part of Inter as well, and Simone Inzaghi. You know, to this point, they're top of the table Inter Milan. It, it's pretty commendable, Cece. I think. Uh, I that, thought that yeah. it would be a little bit crazier for them this season, quite frankly, with Conti leaving. And what ended up happening, I think maybe it was serendipity or maybe they actually are infinitely wiser than the whole rest of the planet. But I think that Inzaghi and Conti aren't terribly dissimilar. Um, I just think that Inzaghi has more of that sustainability factor that Conti lacks. Um, they both get the most out of their players that they can. Um, and Inzaghi has a lot more of a capacity to take on Champions League, which we know Conte is not a Champions League guy. That's just not in his general purview of expertise now, probably ever. I just is any Italian club like a Champions League club? club. I, I think they could be. I think that they could be. Yes. Do I oh, think you that were, you were in recent finals, right? You just ran up against very good uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid teams in the final. Yeah, I mean two. To Juve Champions League finals with Allegri, where they lost, which unfortunately are burned into my brain. But Atalanta went um, deep as well. Atalanta went into mm -hmm. was it quarterfinal, semifinal. Not winning it though. Let's let you know, winning at least getting. The, I mean, listen, the last time Juve won it, what Tupac and Biggie were still alive. I'm not trying to be, you know, <laughs> let, 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 let's focus on that moment. Let's uh, let's But I do want to go back. 2010. Well, the final, but not winning it, not winning. I'm going to talk about winning it. But hey, listen, I'm just, I'm just being the devil's advocate. I want to stay within the race itself because the Serie A race is the most competitive right now in Europe, at least in the major uh, leagues. At time of recording, the points gap between first and fourth in Europe's top five leagues: Bundesliga, 15; Liga, 15; La Liga, 13; Premier League, 12; Serie A, six. It's pretty great. Serie A right now, super competitive. Dre, how do you, let, let, let's remain, first of all, why do you think it's so competitive? What, what, what is the magic this season? So I'll quote my, my Inter-Miami um, co-commentator, uh, Ray Hudson, who, who told me the most insightful thing I ever heard in football was uh, when we figure out why any of this happens, like really learn why any of this happens, let's just turn off the lights and dedicate ourselves to horse racing. Because mm -hmm. the magic of this game is that we don't really know, right? I, I don't, I can't think of another team sport where you can outplay the competition and lose, or where you can play significantly worse than the other team and win. It's just that's it, it's a game that, that does have, yes, we can get into advanced analytics and sort of reverse engineer reasons why things happen till our faces turn blue. We can make whole Twitter accounts uh, and whole careers based on that. But the reality <laughs> is we don't really know exactly why it happens. It's the magic of this game. I've been saying for a long time, for the better part of a decade, that on a week-to-week -week basis, Serie A is producing the most exciting. I said this to you at the start of the season, uh, Luis Miguel, and you disagreed yeah, with you me. Did. You disagreed with me again, but I'll continue to be right today. No, but listen, I may disagree, but, you know, the argument is there. 
is there because it is super exciting. Carry on, my friend. And I think a lot of it is taste, right? I'm not yeah. going to argue taste, but I've been saying for the better part of a decade that the most exciting week-to-week football in Europe has been in Serie A. And the one thing that was missing was a legit title race because mm. uh, Max Allegri's Juve and Antonio Conte's Juve were dominating the title. And, you know, maybe you get Roma to compete with them until late in the season. Sometimes you get Napoli to compete with them until late in the season. And now that's been blown completely wide open. And you've got, you know, three, four, however you see it, legit uh, contenders for the title race, while the level of play has continued to be exciting, the goals are still up. And I think I have a little bit of a half-baked idea for not why it's so competitive right now, because I don't know that, but why it's so exciting. And I think in, in a similar way to what happened in La Liga with Pep Guardiola's Barca, where they were so dominant in one particular style of play, right? The tiki-taka style. Everyone else realized, well, we can't we can't try and beat them at their game. We've got to do something different. And so Mourinho's Madrid, uh, Villarreal, Valencia, all these other teams became more reactive. 4-4-2, defensive, counterattacking football. It was a, a way that spread throughout all of football, not emulating the tiki-taka, but emulating the way to try and destroy what they were doing. I think Juve have had the opposite effect on Serie A. I think Juve were so solid defensively, so good at defending a 1-0 lead in that traditional Italian sense that other teams realize, well, we can't do the same. We can't hope to score one against Juve and then lock it up at the back. We've got to be proactive, attack-minded, play in their half, win the ball high up the pitch. And I can tell CeCe's dying to jump in, so I'll step aside. (laughs) I think, no, I I think that I like how poetic um, your approach was about like, hey, this game is kind of up in the air and, you know, anyone's to lose or win despite how well you play. But I think that there are certainly contributing factors to why it's gotten so much more competitive, especially this season. And some of them are probably negative reasons, like people trying to recoup costs and losses from Mm. peak pandemic, Um, the understanding that they need a lure to bring people in. Um, They're trying to overcompensate in a lot of areas. I think that the shuffling of the decks in terms of management and also playing styles with those new players that they've gotten, where you have like these sort of new ways that you can play and push forward have been a catalyst for why we're getting what we're getting now. And I think that Um, some of the poor management in the same vein, like, for example, Juve's management decisions over probably the last five years Mm -hmm. are finally catching up to them. And so these massive clubs that you essentially would think are too big to fail are now in a slump. Um, And you're trying everything that you can to correct it. But quite frankly, I think that right now uh, in the season with Allegri, we were probably in a a much more comfortable situation in hindsight with Pirlo, who was completely untested. So I think that it's kind of been the perfect storm to kind of temper this particular season and make it just absolutely batshit wild. Yeah, I told you this was going to be a great episode. Two great people talking about the league. I'll just throw one third philosophy, which is one of the reasons why I got so into Serie A early on. Obviously, like so many people, was in the 90s, right? When uh, obviously I was growing up in England and James Richardson forever. Now my friend, uh, a person that hugely impacted my footballing life, you know, would sit, have a cappuccino, uh, whether it was Turin or Milan and and sort of, and Peter Brackley, my favorite commentator of all time. And you would have this amazing plethora of talent and managerial philosophical uh, differences. One thing that I think is so great about Serie A is that it's perfectly balanced when it comes to squads. You have this fundamental heart of Italian football, right? Your Locatelli's, et cetera, Insignia, whatever. And you also have this dynamic up-and-coming young international talent as well. And then you sprinkle that with experience, right? Slatan Ibrahimovic, et cetera. And that to me, obviously that happens throughout almost every league, but I feel that because it has such an Italian heart, 
almost every squad. It begins to form this really beautiful competitive football. It's it's, it's some of the best, by the way. Let's move on, by the way, because I do want to stick with Inter Milan for a second. Okay, I know, Cezy, I know. We have to talk about Inter Milan. <laughs> They're the top dogs right now. But listen, I mean, Antonio Conte left. Lukaku left. Ericsson, of course, uh, leaving a mutual consent due to Serie A regulations, etc. Hakimi as well gone. But there is an argument to be made that the reigning champions are just as good right now, right now, right, Dre? If not better than last season. What do you think? I think it's a very fair argument. Now, that was a fair question to, to ask at the start of the season is, where do Inter get the goals that left in the summer transfer window, right? Because Hakimi might be a wingback, but he was a wingback that provided goals, both goals and assists. Uh, Lukaku had an incredible season. And so I thought it was legit to say, where do those, where do those goals come from? Because we know what Dzeko is, and Dzeko is not going to make up by himself the volume of goals that Lukaku came up with. Unless Lautaro Martinez has this huge jump, he's not going to make up the goals that left in that summer. And I think equally as you know legit and maybe much more surprising is to find that the answer is, from everyone, right? Because now they have 15 different goal scorers in City. Yeah, more than that in all competitions. Mm. They scored more goals than at the same stage last season. And I think that is a credit to Simone Inzaghi. I think there was a base, a competitive base that was built, a belief that was put into this team by Antonio Conte, who's done that not just here, but at other clubs as well. And now building on that base is a much more dynamic manager, one who's um, not as rigid, one who, who players maybe enjoy playing his brand of football a bit more. There's more versatility. The pieces are more interchangeable. Uh, in my opinion, subjectively more fun to watch. Um, and so I think they've taken a step forward, which we, we say often is like the Pat Riley thing, right? The only thing harder than winning is winning again. Uh, mm-hmm. For Inter, it looks like they may need to be a better team to win again. There's better competition this time. They've had some breaks go their way in the sense that they haven't had major injuries and they've been able to, despite a, a lengthy goal drought from Lautaro Martinez, sort of weather that storm, despite a dip in form post the uh, Euros from Nicolo Barella, they've been able to just have pieces that plug in there and continue to work. I think, you know, systemically and in terms of depth, they're the best team in Serie A right now. And if they stay healthy, it's going to be really difficult for anybody to catch them. Go ahead, Cezy. I don't know. If, I know it's very hard for a Juventini to, to say, say something, something nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, think, think happy thoughts. No, I, I do think so. I would say Inter and Atalanta probably have the most depth mm. like, season over season. And so despite the losses, there's also that fluidity that Dre mentioned that those squads have where you can literally plug and play. Like that's a dream, right? You're not stuck trying to put people out of position and hoping for the best and just yeah. sort of novenas up. Um, but I, I I think that there was recently, I think a Barella comment that he had made about Inzaghi that he, where he is sort of, different from Conte is that he's really working on building their confidence. And I think that that definitely shows. And that's something that you can't teach someone, right? That's just a soft skill. And that plus their talent, it's they're, they're formidable. I mean, it's yeah. disappointing for me, but they're formidable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chernoglu arriving there is a massive, a massive thing, I think, as well. But uh, regardless of that, just like last season, the storyline can change in 2022. And when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'm going to ask these two about personal highlights of the season to date. Uh, Christine Cooper is going to tell us what's wrong with Juventus. How can we fix it? And uh, some Italian teams in the Champions League as well. Can they, can they get to the final once again? Kigo Lasso Serie A Special will be right back. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. 
That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back, everybody, to Que Golazo Seria Special. Christine Cupo, Drake Cordero. Let's talk a little bit about personal highlights here. Christine Cupo, obviously, so many interesting things that have gone through the season, Mourinho arriving at uh, Roma and, you know, the emergence as well, once again, after Conte leaving of Inter, Juventus's continued problems. But, you know, maybe a breakout star. Uh, is there a personal highlight, in your opinion, Christine, that you uh, so far have enjoyed this season? Um, I think there's been a lot of really entertaining matches uh, this season, especially. I, I don't think that any of them would be within... Yeah, no, Juve are none of them, unfortunately. <laughs> we're doing real ugly stuff, but we're we're getting wins and quite frankly, You know, or yeah. nothing came out. That was fun. All, that was amazing. That was um, a brief respite from, from... What did you think of that, by the way? What did you think um, of that, all or nothing? I thought that it was really great at highlighting uh, some of what Pirlo had done. And yeah. especially for me, which was very telling, was the conversation that he actually had with Gigi Buffon mm. over lunch. That seemed like a very casual thing where he's talking about, you know, training and what things were like for them as yeah. peers and the differences that sort of Pirlo's noticing in, in the younger players, complaining about them being on their phones and things like that. And I just, for me, it illuminated the fact that if you look at it, Pirlo, very young for a Serie A manager, right? There's a bigger age gap typically, right? Especially if you look at this season with Allegri between the younger players and him and their yeah. understandings and things like that. And the way that you have to acknowledge as a manager that, you know, Gen Z and beyond, because that's where we're at right now, um, their brains work differently. They have the work ethic and they need to have that. That's the special sauce no matter what. Yeah, but, that, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but there's one part in All or Nothing that I absolutely love where they're all having lunch and Bonucci, who is the scariest man on the planet, is just eating. And I think it's Barella and Chiesa and they're just eating, not Barella, sorry, Chiesa and Locatelli maybe eating, whatever. And they look, they're talking, they're laughing, they look up to Bonucci and Bonucci just looks at them. It's like, you know, you can eat lunch without talking. And it absolutely <laughs> scares the hell out of them. And that's that generational thing that you're it talking is. about. It's this schism. I mean, I think that 
for us to have the OGs there, it's very important to impart that very specific Juventus Grita. And outside of that, you're still going to get like a little bit of like old man yells at cloud from yeah. Bonucci and Chiellini. Like it's just the reality of things. And right? I'm like, yell away, man. I don't look, I don't want to fight. Yeah. I think it's, there were a lot of moments in there that were just really it, funny. Like Bernadette acknowledging that he hears them booing at him. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's brilliant. that It's so like undisputably Italian that all of the big moments in the show are happening over a meal. Right. Because you mentioned that conversation with Buffon, you talk about Bonucci, you know, silencing everybody at lunch. I'm just, I'm thinking about uh, Weston McKinney trying to convince Chiellini <laughs> to put ranch on his pizza. Like it's all over, over a meal that, uh, that they bond. I, I would say just to pull it back into like the actual season and the, the biggest moments, mm. undoubtedly for me was um, being at San Siro this weekend for this bigger match. Um, but I'm not going to make this all about me. Instead, I'll talk a little bit about the season and outside of the top four and, and, and the big clubs. Um, I think the maybe most lasting thing I, for me is one where I was completely wrong about somebody. And I've thought up until now that Cholito Simeone was a decent player, uh, an, a work ethic kind of player who was going to run through walls, who had that same sort of you know personality as his father, but was never going to be a volume goal scorer in this league. And I'm now more and more convinced that he can be a volume goal scorer. And I think that moment, those four goals that he scored against Lazio, um, and I believe it was a 4-1 win for, for Verona, uh, stands out as that pivotal moment, uh, the, the career-defining moment potentially um, for Cholito Simeone, where now he's probably going to score the most goals he's ever in Serie A. It's not that difficult. I think 14 was his career high previously in a little loan spell. Unbelievable and, season for him, yeah. That producer Des had it you know, dialed up. He didn't even know I was going to talk about this, but he had to <laughs> ready for it. Um, he has been just unstoppable. I think 12 goals in the last 13 games. Of late, he scores in bunches. If he gets one, you can count him to score another. Uh, and again, he's doing this at, at Verona. So imagine you know, at a bigger club with more goal-scoring chances, with more service, you know, just how good can he be? And so his four-goal game was maybe the highlight of the season so far for me. Yeah, it's something telling about the fact that the Serie A top goal scorers, by the way, aside from Immobile as well, are very young uh, international players as well, which I think brings back to that point about, you know, that sort of Italian heart with some youth uh, from an international perspective. But Cholito Simeone, absolutely. All right, we got to move on. Sorry, Cecia, are you ready? This is your therapy I'm, session. I'm ready, okay. but I actually, I had like a highlight slash standout player Go that ahead. was not Juve. And I tell me, to tell me. It's Beto Udinese. Yeah. Mm. And honestly, his recent match against Milan with his interaction with Ibra was kind of adorable because he said Zlatan told him, you know, like, keep it up. And then he lamented that everybody wanted Ibra's shirt, so he didn't get it. So, <laughs> like, soft spot. Guys, like a giant, though, also, mind you. Like, this yeah. is like two, six foot, four, five dudes being like, hey, buddy, let me get your shirt. Like, I think that's comical <laughs> in my head. It is. It's <laughs> hilarious. But that's a great one as well. Uh, and by the way, I just want to quickly mention Dusan Vlaovic and how he's the love child of Patrick Bateman, an American psycho, and Oz from American Pie. You put those two people together. <laughs> That's Dusan Blau. And we're going to get to him. He looks old-timey, doesn't he? He looks like an old-timey. Absolutely. Player. He's an he's old shirt. If you put him in a 1930s match and it's like, <laughs> and here's Dusan Vlaovic, that I totally believe that. Uh, I could yeah. totally see that with like an old-timey hat, even like on the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Caps meant actual caps, right? Like that's yeah. Yeah. Yelling, yelling against Mussolini. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, listen, this is your therapy session, Christine Cupo. Juventus, we talked about them in All or Nothing. Okay, take a breather. All right. Okay. First of all, how are you coping right now? <laughs> well, um, it hasn't been uh, particularly enjoyable. 
Um, I have consistently said that it, 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 was it pretty? No. Was it a fun time? Not particularly, but did we win? Hopefully, hopefully. Right. So, um, yeah, we've so what's had. The main, whole- what's the main source of frustration to you? Like you're looking at this Juventus side, you know, somebody that just dominates, dominates Serie A, not just like wins every now, dominates. What's the main source of frustration? Well, I think that part of it is we need to let go of that notion because we're no longer that team. Right. Um, and I think that supporter expectations will never possibly meet the reality of things, but we are now roughly, I think, probably five seasons beyond when we should have looked at a rebuilding year, essentially, but we'll never call it that. So um, we are now back at what is essentially square one with Allegri. Um, I think that despite the fact that he has acknowledged that the game has changed, which I think that nobody is going to disagree with that. That's the reality of it, right? We notice even the, the reality of the current Serie A table reflects the fact that the game has changed, right? And so for someone seasoned like Allegri, thank you for the five Scudetto wins and the two Coppa Italias and, you know, bringing us into Champions League. But I think that we're having the same old problem, reliance on some players that harken back to his first go, like Sandro, for example, who just hasn't really performed, Mm -hmm. that he was always heavily relying on, that he insists on on continuing with... um, playing Rabio out of position, playing Locatelli occasionally out of position. There's a lot of things that are happening that um, sort of go along with some of the criticisms from last season where people were shouting into the void, you know, Pirlo isn't trying or changing anything up. And now we are trying and changing things up, despite the fact that most of the time that looks like uh, 4-4-2 that devolves into like a 3-4-1-1 while we're playing or, or something to that effect. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that are just, it, it was more illuminating to see the all or nothing from last season and see how the players interact on a personal level and yeah. just to see what the vibe is because there's definitely a disconnect between um, their camaraderie that's evident on the tape and what's actually playing out on field. Yeah. So I think I, I have a few qualms about Allegri's approach and because I'm an absolute sicko, I went back and read <laughs> Allegri's thesis recently of course from you 2004 yeah. and he's like referring to Spal and I'm like okay but the, the crazy part is like the first paragraph he's like I, I want to try uh, 442 and I'm like what? It's, this is how many years later and we're still in the same place and just it just goes to show that despite him acknowledging that he needs to be nimble he may actually be incapable um, to that point, though, like, if you think about Alexis thesis was about the, the characteristics, uh, tactical, um, physical, uh, mental of three central midfielders in a system yep. that uses three central midfielders. Right. And With so, the caveat being that he has players suited to those things. And right. so now we're seeing exactly it's so weird to see in hindsight that this man is still working off of his own blueprint, which I guess mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. Because it's your comfort zone. It's what you know. It's what you've actually utilized in the past that has brought you success. But Which to is, your other point, yeah. just because you're doing the same things and they worked in the past doesn't mean they're going to work season over season. Right. And, it, and it is wild, as you were saying, to, to hear him talk about well, what worked for us at Livorno, what worked for us at Spal. It's like, all right, this guy would go on to win five Scudetti, you know, one with Milan, four with uh, with Juve. Um, 
but I, I, what's interesting about what you said is that the game has changed and it's changed in ways that Allegri seemed to want them to change, right? Not that he was necessarily implementing, but he would lament the fact that he would say, and he said it in a derogatory way, I think it's a positive for Serie A, is that you can like show up at the start of the game, write down the tactical formations of both teams, take a one-hour nap, wake up, and everybody was standing in the same position. So he wanted that change. He wanted teams to be more fluid, so for, for pieces to be more interchangeable. And mm-hmm. if you look at the rest of the Serie A, it is more fluid, more interchangeable, whereas Juve are still slightly more rigid. Um, so Extremely. Be careful yeah. what you wish for in a way. Like the, the rest of the Extremely. Serie A. Extremely. And I keep saying, like, I'm waiting for the day. I, I favored, in a lot of ways, Pirlo's thesis, because I also lean more toward maybe a Gasparini style, where bless us with something even remotely resembling that because I just miss, I miss having that excitement, you know, like like, you get up one and then just like sit and hang out and hope to God that your defense is as solid as they've always been. Yeah. One of the major, one of the major issues and themes, not just in Serie A, not just with Juventus, I actually connected as well to Manchester United for a little bit is that sometimes these clubs that are so used to, you know, keeping this level of, uh, hierarchy almost omnipotence is that they're too in love with their own history and so it's like it's very difficult to adapt to modernity so that that's a main issue the Gasparini system this whole of uh Michael Tyson uh Mike, Mike Tyson sort of uh everybody has a plan until you punch them in the face takes uh you know not necessarily decades but it does take a certain philosophy that has to permeate throughout an entire club so well, let's yeah end. or or like right. a particularly special player that can make it correct work, right so correct. like when Gasparini was, was doing like a three four one two it's because he had papu to rely on which yeah. how many other like tactics can you actually deploy yeah. when you have a special player that you can use like that and just one more note on Pirlo the problem with Pirlo that I saw in the all or nothing thing is that you know Pirlo in many ways was uh you know uh Dre was talking about you know reactive philosophy sometimes or whatever Pirlo was a reactive manager. He was reacting to what was happening in training, reacting to what was going on at halftime, whatever. There was never this kind of like, I'm putting my foot down. And a lot of it has to come with the fact that in nature, that's what he was like as a player. You know, he like not necessarily reactive, but very passive. He let his feet do the talking. You kind of needed somebody to just go in there and be like, not, not in an allegory sense, but to your point, uh, Christine, about being a Gasparini side going, we need to adapt and we need to, be proactive, not reactive. Final point on a Juventus Drake Cordero. What say you? Uh, my final point is that I, I love a podcast that gets into like managerial theses. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> got really into the weeds there. On this I, you know what? I want a podcast <laughs> with Christine. Is like it's a three in the morning and she's like just reading like different theses. I think that would Honestly, be Honestly, that and like Super Valenza, where I'm like, who wants to talk accounting? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like capital <laughs> gains in Italian football. I love so, it. Like, who wants I to think... hear about the accrual method accounting and how we're <laughs> not doing the math system correctly? Uh, you were pretty close to being back, though, right? So, like, they've only lost twice in the last 10 all competitions, five yep. yeah. loss. Uh, they're winning and they're winning in the old school Juve way, which is they score first and then frustrate the hell out of you. And they don't yeah. let you play. Uh, so I, I think we're seeing, as you said, yes, it takes time to implement a proactive system. It takes time to implement almost any system. And coaches will tell you they'll need at least for minimum 40 training sessions to get their points across. And that's just to get things started. So I think we are seeing um, a, a much better Juve or at least the Juve that Allegri wants. But the problem is they don't have the kind of lead that they were accustomed to having at this stage of the season when they were winning all those Scudetti. From that, from that, uh, let's let's make that segue into Italian teams in the Champions League and how you think they will fare as we look ahead to the knockout stages. Of course, the Champions League also 
a CBS Sports Paramount Plus product, by the way. Hey. FYI, I need to get my Christmas bonus. I needed to say that, by the way. <laughs> but um, let's, uh, Dre, let's begin with you. Thoughts on uh, the Champions League teams, or at least uh, those that are in and those that tried at the beginning, right? Obviously, uh, Atalanta, Juve, Inter, Milan, all were part of the program. Uh, not all of them went through. How do you see... Uh, first of all, Italian teams in the Champions League adapting, and I guess uh, following it up with the round of 16. Yeah, so good draw for Juve, not so good draw for Inter. Um, I don't think Villarreal are easy in any sense, but Villarreal are, are a lot closer to being sort of a, a Europa League champion than they are to being a, a, a Champions League winner. Uh, with I all mean, the they were. Exactly. You can't discount Unai Emery, so... Um, and in, in, some, in some ways, it's almost, you know, the Spider-Man meme uh, pointing at each other because they're both, uh, you know, defensive low blocks. Uh, they're teams that have a lot of similarities. They're going to break on the counter. They're going to try to utilize their speed. Um, but I do think it's it's one of the kindest draws that Juve could have had is to go up against Villarreal. Having said that, no one has more respect for Spanish football. I covered it for 15 years. It still is, in many ways, my favorite brand of soccer. I'm not going to say that, oh, they got an easy draw because they got Villarreal. I don't think anybody wants to get them, but it's a team that I think matches up. Their qualities match up with the way that Juve want to play, the things that Juve want to do. And so I, I do give Juve a very, very good chance to go through. Especially so that, this season, because Villarreal this season are not Villarreal last season. Right. And you, they are starting to be the kind of team where they, they score first, you're in trouble, um, which is what Villarreal sort of specialized in under Unai Emery as well. Um, I, I'm a lot less confident about Inter, even though Inter looked like the class of Serie A this season. Uh, you don't want to go up against Liverpool in, in a two-legged knockout. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody wants that. No, no, that's not that's not anybody's first choice, quite frankly. It, it wouldn't be mine in any scenario. Uh, it should be entertaining. I mean, but it, it doesn't certainly lean in their favor. Um, I would so love to see you an give, upset. Who do you give? Uh, who do you, out of the Italian teams left? Who do you? Uh, I know. Try and be neutral here. Who do you give uh, a, a better chance uh, prolonging uh, their stay? I think Juve have a much better chance. I think that the Villarreal squad were far more complete, even though they're very technical. Uh, last season, I don't discount them much this season either. I think that they'll still give them a go, especially mm. if we're having a particularly bad day. But um, I think that they for sure have a better chance in contrast to inter Liverpool. I think that that's going to be a battle for a number of reasons, right? So one, I think the, the level of the two teams is closer. I think um, mm -hmm. the, the level between Juve and Villarreal, Juve getting the edge, I think in that matchup um, is closer. And I, I'm one of those people who really believes that who hosts the second leg has a lot to do um, when you come to 16 quarterfinals, semifinals and inter and Anfield for the second leg. So they've got to sort of try and hang around. You, uh, they get to host the second leg against Villarreal. Could you imagine a scenario where Villarreal have to go and overturn, I don't know, say you, they win 2-0. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but now you got to go to the Allianz Stadium and, and try and, you know, overcome that sort of deficit against uh, one of the strongest uh, defensive teams in, in Europe. Um, I, I think Juve have a much better chance to get deeper in. And if Juve are out of the Scudetto race, which at the moment they are, maybe something miraculous happens and they get back into it. But if they're out of the Scudetto race now, you better believe that a manager who's been to two Champions League finals will, will be able to sell his team on and get them to believe that they can make a big impact in Europe. Whether that means getting to the semifinal or getting to another final, I, I think they're going to be a tough out for anybody. I think that... Yeah, I mean, this is the one instance where I would be pulling for Inter to win. Obviously, there's some league loyalty here. But mm. I think that um, I am worried by the fact that Milan got quite so hammered by Liverpool. And the table for Serie A reflects <laughs> not much deviation in terms of... Uh, 
playability and otherwise for yeah i mean the other the other part of it by the way is the african cup of nations and if it happens of course and and if anything happens between and you know it's it's going to be a key component as well as obviously these matches are scheduled for february let's wrap up everybody because it's been a super fun show but uh in case we missed anything i wanted final thoughts from both these two on anything that perhaps we haven't touched regarding Serie A. perhaps it's uh, a player that we haven't discussed uh, i mentioned uh, patrick bateman uh, aka oz aka uh, maybe uh Gianluca lapadula from Serie B. somebody should really buy that man my god uh that connection that me and Fabrizio Romano have when it comes to that man. But any final thoughts as we say goodbye? Dre Cordero, let's begin with you. We'll, we'll keep the Lapadula theme, I think, because I called his debut in Serie A when he was in oh, Milan. Yeah. And I want to say thanks to Milan oh. because they, you know, when I was in San Siro, they hooked it up. Oh, baby. Love it. Beautiful. That was a sign of respect, right? Not, not, not just anybody gets that. Uh, Ibrahimovic and me. Uh, the only ones. Apparently. Well, that, that um, I do think you should be watching City out for a variety of reasons. And it's not just the title race, which is incredible. And it's not just how, how good and how, how attractive this style of football is at the very, very top. Even when you leave the top, when you look at the way that, you know, Empoli plays at the moment, when you look at the way that Fiorentina plays in the Vincenzo Italiano, um, when you look at the way even Venezia play, right? Like Venezia are, are a candidate to go down right now. They're, they're fighting for their lives. They're above the relegation zone. Got one of those hanging around here too. Just show off. Venezia are not getting oh, I'm, I'm using the power of my mind and otherwise yeah. to keep. I know both of board. you have that jersey, and I'm so yeah. jealous. Though I don't have one. So. Everybody the aboard table. the Busio bus. We are <laughs> not going down. <laughs> We've got as many Americans, uh, Venezia, right now on the roster, even though the Vrez hasn't uh, debuted yet, as the rest of Italian football in their history. So get on the uh, Venezia gondola, yeah. not on the Venezia bus or bandwagon. Get yeah, the gondola. Right? <laughs> the gondola. Um, no, I think I think that that's. We're seeing a lot more investment in Syria from U.S. investors, and I think that that bodes well for everyone involved. I think that it it's helping along the league. It's, it's certainly exposing us to a lot more American players than we haven't seen before. Um, it, it, this, this whole season's been wacky, and so I no longer feel like I have to influence anyone into watching. It's it's just it's a good time, um, yep. and. The more competitive the league gets, I think the closer we inch toward raising that Champions League trophy. And so maybe within the next like three or four seasons, we get there. Well, listen, either get on board or, you know, miss out. It's basically the message here, but it's been a fantastic episode. Don't forget uh, that Serie is exclusively on Paramount Plus. I'm so happy to welcome Dre Cordero at Dre Cordero on Twitter. Kristen Cooper, C. Cooper on Twitter. It's been so awesome to have you. Thank you, Cece. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Dre Cordero, always a pleasure, my friend. An absolute blast. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod, Apple Podcast, Spotify. You can now rate on Spotify, so you better do that. YouTube.com forward slash Kegolasso, CBS Sports, and your CBS Sports app. Have a fantastic holiday season. Feliz Navidad. Bon Natale. We will see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 